This morning, God has put on my heart the old, old story that we just sang about. I love to sing that old, old story. That old story of Jesus and His love, that old story of Jesus and His love never grows old. Even though it's an old story, it never grows old. And it's a message to those who have not come yet to Christ, who have not yet become a Christian. And it's a message to us who are young Christians, been Christians for a while, and us, us Christians who have been there for a long time. It's a message that never grows old. Last night, uh, well actually on Monday of this week, as we turn to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 19, as we're turning there, last this past week on Monday, I was coming out of a store, and there was this fellow who come up to me. He was coming in, I was going out, and he said, Ron? I looked at him, and he looked somewhat familiar, but I, I said, I don't recognize you. Who are you? And he said, I'm KC. And KC was a fellow that we knew when we lived in Norristown. We lived in uh, the borough of Norristown for 10 years. And while we were there, uh, we shared the word with a lot of people in the neighborhood there, and God brought people to our house. But him and his uh, sister were two people who spent a lot of time in our house and sleepovers and live with us for a while and everything. And uh, we hadn't seen him for 20 years. We hadn't seen KC for 20 years. Uh, we left there when he was around 13. Hadn't seen him. He was, he's 37 years old. Now. I ran into him when he was a teenager. But I hadn't seen him for 20 years. And he went through a long period of being an atheist. He said his mother, he told us the story last night. He came over for dinner. He told us last night the story of how his mother had been converted some years back and uh, a long series of circumstances. He told us, he said, I found Christ some some years back. And he said, but through a series of circumstances, some seven years ago. No, as long as I was when he was 26, I was on 11. It started, I guess, when he was 26. God put him through a series of circumstances. He was converted some seven years ago. And as we talked to him, we've seen that he's a very serious Christian. And he, he lives not that far away, and he goes to a church in Norristown that he believes God directed him to. But a very serious Christian, and we we're glad to hear it. It was a wonderful testimony. It was so glad to see him again. And he was uh, almost like, we were almost like, as he said, we were almost like second parents to him. And somehow lost contact over the course of time. One of the things as he was talking about his life, he's growing in Christ, he says, and this is a message I've heard many Christians repeat over and over again, the word guilt. He says, I'm confessing my sins, he says, but I just feel this, and he says, when I'm struggling, he says, I'm trying to follow the Lord and obey Him, but I have to keep dealing with this guilt. The message of the gospel doesn't change after we become a Christian. The message is still the same. We read in Luke chapter 15 where people come up to Jesus and his disciples, come up to Jesus' disciples and say, Why is your master eating? with sinners, with all these sinful people and talking with them. and Why is he doing that, having company with them? And Jesus' answer is, it is not those who are well that need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. As we read later in the Gospel, there's none righteous, no, not one. So, 
when he says, I have not come to call the righteous, it is those who think they are righteous in themselves. The self-righteous. Because, as we read, by the works of the law shall no one be justified in God's sight. By just doing what's right. And then Jesus gives the three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in, both, in all three of these parables, there's somebody who's lost and is found. And the lost son is a son who drifted from his father. And when he is in a faraway place, he comes to his senses, and he comes back to the father and says, Father, I have sinned. And the father, when he sees him coming, comes running to him and accepts him and wraps his arms around him. This is the message of the gospel to the unbeliever and to the believer who has strayed and is struggling with guilt. You see the welcome of the Father. Come back to me. Wraps his arms around his son who strayed and gone away. And this grace and this mercy is a message to the Christian of how we should be to one another who have strayed and have, 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 have gone away from the Lord. We should be vessels of mercy, crying, coming back, be reconciled to God, come back to God. Not be judgmental or harsh. Come back to the wounded in battle. Bind up their wounds and bring them, help convince them, come back. A message of reconciliation. To those who have never known Christ and those who have known Him and drifted away. In the book of James it says, Brothers, if any among you have strayed from the truth, he says, you who are spiritual, bring them back. And let him know that he that has brings, brings a, a sinner back shall save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The message of reconciliation to the unbeliever and to the straying believer. And to those who are struggling and are still trying to follow Christ but are dealing with guilt, there is a message. And today we will read that message and remind ourselves of the story as we love to hear this old, old story. The Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it into his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It's finished. God's plan of salvation right there at that time was finished. God had, we sing this song, we sang some Christmas, a couple of Christmas carols today. And they never go old either, and they're for any time of year. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This is it. This is the message, and this was God's plan from the time He came to be born all the way through till He's hanging on the cross and He dies. This is the message that we must when we're feeling guilt, that we must always bring to remembrance. We also read next the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Verses 44 to 46. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. You know, when I was a kid, we used, around Good Friday, we always used to read this, the gospel of Jesus <clears throat> 
and dying on the cross in the church and at home even. We used to read it on Good Friday. And I remember always having a question on top in my head about this veil being torn in two. What was this veil? What did that have to do with anything? I never understood it. I understood the sun being darkened and Jesus crying out and saying to the Father, into, my, into your hands I commend, commit my spirit. I understood all that, but what's this veil being torn? In the temple, there was a place called the Most Holy Place that there was only one person who was allowed to go into there and it was only once a year. It was the high priest. Whoever the high priest, the Jewish high priest was, on the Day of Atonement, I think it had something to do with Passover, it was somewhere around the time of the Passover in the Days of Unleavened Bread. On the Day of Atonement, the, there was a lamb that was given, it was killed, and the blood was sprinkled. The priest was to go into the holiest of all, the holiest place called the holiest of all, and there was a veil, and he was the only one allowed in there, and he had to offer the blood in that most holy place on the Day of Atonement. And I didn't know all that as a kid. But on the, as soon as Jesus died, that veil was torn open. A way was made to that most holy place. And has a very important significance when it comes to salvation. Because the new covenant was established. Because every year the high priest had to offer that. That blood for his sins and the sins of all the people. But it was temporary until the time of Christ. And we hear the words, it is finished. And the veil being torn open. We begin to see a picture that God's plan was finished for the offering for sin. There it was. As we continue to read in uh, Matthew chapter 27. As we're reading the same event being reported by different reporters. Matthew uh, chapter 27. Verses 50 through 54. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Mm -hmm. This was and is the Son of God. Uh, so again, it talks about the temple being torn in two. And right after that, an interesting thing, graves were opened. And it says... The bodies of many people of God who had died came back to life. And it says they came out of their graves after Jesus' resurrection. Three days later, they came up out of the, their graves and went into Jerusalem, the holy city, and appeared to many. So it wasn't just Jesus' resurrection, as we happens three days later from this time, but as soon as Jesus died, some people came back to life. A confirmation of not only of the payment for sin, but the resurrection from the dead. But they didn't come out of their graves. They had to stay in their graves for three days because Jesus was the first one to come out of the grave. The first, first to be raised, come out of the grave from the dead. And then, other, and then after Jesus' resurrection... These other people came out. And can you imagine, this isn't recorded anywhere else, or mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. But isn't it interesting? People going around that had died, coming back, like Lazarus, coming out of the tomb, coming out. It says many, who knows how many? And they came out and they're walking around testifying 
the resurrection of the dead. But in all this, 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 all this happened as soon as Jesus passed away. And says in another place, he descended into Hades and took those souls that were captive, 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 and ascended on high. Jesus took those who were there from the old covenant, the people of God, and brought them out from Hades. As David says, you will not keep my, you will not allow my soul to stay in Hades. We see the parable, the story actually, not a parable, the story that Jesus gave concerning the beggar and Abraham in Hades. Because the payment for sin had not been made. Abraham, when he died, he didn't go to heaven, he went to Hades. And that's why Lazarus, the be- the, that rich man who died and was tormented in hell, when he looked across and he saw people in safety in this place called Hades, he saw them over there in this place of safety, Abraham and the beggar. Why were they there? Why wasn't Abraham? Why didn't he go directly to heaven? The pay place? Because the payment had not been made. But now the door was open when Jesus died. Abraham is no longer in Hades. That beggar is no longer in Hades. The people of God are no longer in Hades. When Jesus died, you see these people, they, they rose from the dead. And they gave witness to that. <clears throat> from there we go to the book of Romans, chapter 3. And a declaration of a powerful message in the book of Romans. The message of salvation. Romans 3, verses 19 to 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Okay. The message here is very clear. He talks about the works of the law. What law? The law of the Ten Commandments, the law of God, right and wrong. And he talks about being accepted and considered righteous before God without a performance. Without meeting up to God's standard of right and wrong. There's a message about being just before God through faith in Jesus, it says here. And it excludes the works of the law. Now, people will, and unfortunately in Christendom, there are those who would say, 
well, if that's the case, then, you know, we'll just do whatever we want and God will still accept us. In the book of the in the book of Hebrews, it warns not to that our hearts can be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, and it can move us away from this hope. The apostle Paul talked about those whose faith was shipwrecked, and they became enemies of the cross. They were there are Jesus said there are some who believe for a time. But they don't continue in Christ. In the parable of the sower of the soil. He said there's some who believe for a time. But they don't continue in Christ. They don't continue in faith in Christ. They don't continue in the vine as Jesus said. But the message doesn't change. Because God knows our hearts. Whether we believe this message. And part of the message is. That Jesus is Lord. He's God the Son. And we are and because He's Lord, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord if you don't do the things that I tell you? The Holy Spirit's ministry, Jesus said, was to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment to come. God's judgment. Conviction. That word is not condemnation. That word is conviction. At this present time, during the ministry of the Holy Spirit, before God's judgment come, it is a ministry which brings conviction. A message concerning the, the poison of sin and the guilt that's associated with it. But that ministry has a purpose not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. When Jesus was rejected in the city of Samaria, James and John said to Jesus, Should we call fire down from heaven like Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament and destroy the city of Samaria? And Jesus' answer was, you don't know what spirit you're of. I haven't come to destroy people's life. I've come to save them. He came to save us. And once we come to Christ, that ministry doesn't change. He, 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 he saved us. The, the, if you read in the New Testament, it says He saved us. In other places it says He is saving us. In other places it says it will save us. Past, present, and future. When we first came to Christ, we were saved. And He is <clears throat> He is in the process <clears throat> of continuing us in Christ to the end that we will be saved. We were saved, we are saved, we will be saved. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's not... <clears throat> when we sin... He doesn't want us to wallow in our guilt. He wants us to receive the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings and repent from our heart. And repentance doesn't just mean saying we're sorry. It's not just being sorry for our sin. It's turning away from it. And He gives us the power to do that. But even the turning away from it begins in our heart. The first step of repentance is the same as the first step of faith. It begins in the heart. And we repent from our heart and God shows us how to physically turn away from the things that are wrong. And to turn away from the evil thoughts of our heart and our mind. And the things that the body wants us to do that's wrong flesh. It's all there. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. We read in First Peter. Or maybe that's Second Peter. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, 
having been justified freely by His grace. We don't deserve it. Free. Without any cost. Without any good behavior like they do in prison. If you're in prison, they, they show you mercy. And they shorten your sentence if you have good behavior. That's not, this is not salvation. This is not based on good behavior. This is based on something God has done. A plan that God has done. That is the reason for two covenants. That's why we call the Old Testament old. Because, as we read in the book of Galatians, that the Old Covenant is a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. Why does it lead us to Christ? Because the Old Testament tells us the soul that sins shall surely die. Wow. Is there anybody here that's never sinned? Both in mind and heart and in action? We all have sinned that we misread and fall short of the glory of God. That means the Old Covenant tells us we all deserve judgment. And judgment will come to all because we've all sinned. We've all broken God's law. And it leads us to the New Covenant, to the cross, to God's mercy. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with God's law. The problem is not God's law. The problem is us. We've sinned. We've broken God's law. And since that's true, we need a, we need a Savior. We needed a second covenant, the New Covenant. And the New Covenant is in not the blood of lambs and goats and bulls, but in the blood of God's own Son. And this strange plan was designed not by a man. That's why it seems strange to us. But God Himself, the Creator of the universe, a great and holy God, provided this way that seems strange to the human mind in some ways, but it's because God is not a man. And His ways are higher than our ways. And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. <clears throat> the next place uh, we go is to Romans chapter 6. Verses 22 and 23. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Having been set free from sin, it says it three times in this chapter. We have been freed from sin. Free from the hold it has on us, free from the guilt, free from the shame. And through the Holy Spirit we have power so that we don't continue in sin. Beginning of the chapter says, shall we continue in sin? He says, God forbid. We have the power to not continue in sin. To be to be, have authority, we have been given authority over our bodies and over our minds and over our spirit. We want to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. When I was in Pentecostal churches, the power of the Holy Spirit was all about miracles and signs and wonders. And that is part of the power of the Holy Spirit. But the foundation of the power of the Holy Spirit is a changed life. Is a life changed from within? A new, a new creation. And also, a change on the outside. Living a new life. Living the life of the Christian. The life of Christ. And to have the power to do that. 
We have not received the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. The ability to control ourselves. This is the message, this, this declaration. Having been set free from sin, sin we're, no, we're not slaves of sin anymore. We're slaves of servants of God. The children of God. Excuse me. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When somebody gives you a gift, how much do you pay for it? Nothing. Zero. It is the gift of God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through faith in Christ. In 1 John it says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. But the gift, but the, the judgment, the wrath of God remains upon Him. If we have the Son, if we have been converted and we're in Christ, it says we have life. Jesus says, whoever believes in Me has eternal life. Present tense. We possess eternal life. It is not a message of obedience. It's a message of faith. Believing what God did. It says that judgment is on those who don't believe because they don't believe the record that God gave concerning His Son. They don't believe this message. And that's where the judgment comes in. They reject the message of Jesus Christ coming, Son of God, coming in the flesh, giving His life for us. That's where the judgment comes from. That's where the guilt is, rejecting the message that God gave concerning His Son. And we know that this guilt that we can experience as a Christian because maybe we've done the same thing over and over again and keep repenting and keep on doing things that we we shouldn't but the message is still the same that God wants us to come to him and he will not only relieve us of our guilt but give us power uh, to obey him as Lord because in the changed life, in the changed heart, this new creation, as Romans 7 says, He wants to do the will of God. God puts in us a desire and a, and a hunger and a thirst to follow Him. It's in there. If we're converted, it's in there. And it says that we who are in Christ cannot practice sin. Why? Because we it's because we know when we stand it, you know, it just sets everything, you know, into confusion. There's this this turmoil that goes on and this horrible stuff that goes on inside of us, this conviction and all this stuff that goes on because we're going the wrong way. This heaviness of conviction that we're sinning. We can't be at peace with that. There's no peace in that. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You you who are Christians, we who are Christians, we walk in the flesh. We feel condemnation. We come to Christ and His grace and His peace come back. We repent, He comes back. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death.
So from there we go to Romans chapter 8. Verses 11 to 15. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors. We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Um, as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. We become sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in His blood for the payment of our sins. This old, old story really never becomes old. And we should remind ourselves of it in our daily lives so that we don't fall back into condemnation and guilt. Because what KC said last night is something that I've heard this testimony I don't know how many times of Christians that have been uh, overwhelmed and overtaken by the burden of guilt when they've fallen into sin. And they want to come back to the Lord, but somehow there's something wrong. Like, I, I, know, I've, I, I know that God forgives me, and I know that, uh, you know, that I'm a, you know, that... Um, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin and everything. I know all that, but somehow I'm still burdened out with the guilt. Knowing it and embracing it in our hearts and believing it and taking it by faith and accepting it is something that goes against our natural self, our human nature. Because we know naturally what we deserve. We deserve judgment for our sins. We know what we deserve. But grace is something that we don't deserve. Forgiveness is something that we don't deserve. Mercy we don't deserve. But that's who God is. And that's why He wants us to come to Him. Not only to be cleansed from the sin, but be cleansed from the guilt of it too. And if we believe this message of His grace, it relieves us from the guilt and helps us to move on and to continue in Christ. Sometimes we're convinced that we deserve to be in guilt and that we have to spend a time in guilt and, and uh, you know, beat ourselves up for a while that's part of the part of the ritual of that I kind of grew up in in the religion I was in. You had to beat yourself up for a while with guilt, and then eventually, somehow, maybe God would forgive you. No, no, that's not the message of the gospel. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says in one place, He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. In our place it says, He casts our sins in the sea of His forgetfulness. He forgets our sins. Yes, God can actually forget if He chooses to. And so, well, I can't forget. Well, it is not the will of God for us to beat ourselves up in guilt. Just so we know, the children of God He's designed a better way for it. To come to Him and be cleansed. To have our conscience cleansed from dead works. To be free from our guilt of our sin. <clears throat> the next place is in Ephesians chapter 1. 
as we turn there, we read that God has adopted us as His children. And we cry out to Him, Father. You know, us who are parents, when our children do something wrong, we're a good parent. And they say they're sorry. Do they, we want them to just wallow in that guilt for a while and say, well... Maybe in a while I'll forgive you, and you know we'll see. And you know that's not a good parent. Does that? A good parent says, "Sure, I forgive you." And you want to help them to do better. You forgive them, and they've done wrong to you. You want to forgive them. You don't want them to be burdened, and you know by what they've done wrong. You want them to be free from it and to accept them again. Say that's okay, and you hug them, and you know. They're your kids. Of course you're going to do that. Well, that's the way God is. He's adopted us as our, His children, and He wants us to be free from guilt after we confess and repent. In chapter 1 and uh, verse um, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Mm-hmm. God has redeemed us through the blood of Jesus, forgiveness of sins according to His grace. His graciousness. We don't deserve it. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, Beginning in verse 12 to verse 19. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near to the, by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man for the for the two, thus making peace, and that might that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Amen. <clears throat> what a message. What a covenant that God has made. It is finished. We read it right here. What Jesus said, it is finished. God has... He, Jesus Himself is our peace, it says in verse 14. Verse 15 says, I've abolished in His flesh the enmity between us and God because of our sins. Jesus Himself is the peace between us and God. That's why we, we, we sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing and in it says, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This is where it comes in. This is the peace and goodwill from God. This peace comes through coming and believing the message concerning Jesus Christ. In verse 16, that he might reconcile us to God through the cross, putting to death the enmity between us and God, the separation between us and God through our sins. This foundational message is important for the Christian to remember because the devil will try to move you away from this hope. It says before we were without hope, he wants to bring us to this place of being without hope again. 
And we have access to the Spirit of God and we become citizens of the Kingdom of God. God's children. And as we go from here to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, of the Son of His love, excuse me, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. He transformed us from darkness into the kingdom of His Son, Jesus. The transferring when we believe the message of the Gospel, and we come to Him, and we respond in faith to this message. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, and then we continue on in, in uh, Colossians in verses 19-23. to 23. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. In if indeed you continue in faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. <clears throat> the message here again, that it is finished. Jesus said the words, it is finished. And you see it everywhere we've read it. This completeness... With with God then did, <clears throat> and you who are alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works are sins, yet now He has reconciled. So I haven't been that wicked. Well, sin is sin, and in one place it says that if we've broken one of the commandments, we've broken them all. We've become a lawbreaker, and it says. He has made peace and reconciled us in the body of the flesh of Jesus through His death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. So well, I don't feel holy. I don't feel blameless. I haven't been doing everything right all the time. In those times of guilt, come to Jesus and be cleansed and become, once again, be cleansed and of, of your guilt and your, and your sin and everything. And This is a continuing... We come to Jesus not just once when we first believe the message, but this is something that Jesus says, come to me. You're burdened. You're burdened with your sin, Christian? Come to me. You're, you're, you're burdened with your sin, unbeliever? Come to me. Believe in me. And the message goes on to say, if you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. And this is the problem when we become wallowing in our guilt and get beaten down, we begin to become removed from that hope. You know, if you look in the New Testament, it's amazing how many times it talks about hope. And here it talks about it, the hope of the Gospel. Sometimes people get moved away from that hope. This basic foundational message of being reconciled through the blood of Jesus. Not just in the beginning of our conversion, but as we continue in Christ. That peace is still there for us. And if we're in a place of guilt, we're burdened, heavily laden with sin, you know, I keep repenting, I keep on doing it, and man, we're just getting beaten down, and we get in a dark place. I've experienced it, I know many of us, I've heard the testimony of many Christians have come to that dark place of wallowing in guilt because we know we don't measure up. Come to Jesus. Come to this cross of Jesus. This old, old story is still the same for the 
Christian, if you've been a Christian for two years, 20 years, 40 years, it doesn't matter. The message will always be the same. In Him is our hope. In Him is our peace between us and God. That message doesn't change once we become a Christian. So be free. Be free in Christ. And not be burdened down with our old way. And as we read in the men's meeting on Wednesday, I believe it's in 2 Peter chapter 1. And he talks about adding to our faith these fruits of the Spirit. And he says, but those who are not growing all this and don't have this, he says, are blind and short-sighted and have forgotten something. They have forgotten that they were cleansed from their old sins. That's the hope that they've been moved away from. We have been cleansed from our old way of life. Walk in the new man that is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. Put away the old man. The power has been given to us. The deliverance is there. We pray for God's deliverance. Well, guess what? He's given it to us. We have become partakers of the divine nature, the nature of God. But if we forget that and move away from that hope and forget that message, we can get burdened down with guilt, condemnation, get beaten up. And remember, if we're wallowing in condemnation, it's not the Holy Spirit that's bringing condemnation. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to redeem you, to bring you back to a place of freedom, of hope, bring you back to the hoop of the blood of Jesus. Come back to the blood. Because that that fountain is still there. Are we free today? Are we experiencing the abundant life that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord? It's at the cross. It's where it was when we started. That's where it always will be. At the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my soul was rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And sometimes you get moved away from that. You have to come back. No matter how long, how long we're a Christian, you always have to come back to the cross. 